You're listening to a Southside Baptist Church podcast with our pastor, Dr. Jeff Parker. For more audio content, please refer to our website at ssbaptistchurch.com. We probably won't get into chapter 5 much because I want to address this idea of, of storms because you and I know that in life we're going to go through difficulties We're going to go through trials. Storms are going to come. There's no way to get around them. You're either... I did a a series called Storm Proof where I said at the beginning of that series, you and I are either going into a storm, we're either in a storm, or we're coming out of a storm. It seems like life is that way, isn't it? But there's two points to this sermon today. Number one, why the storm... Because when you look at Mark chapter 4, verses 35 to 41, you realize that these disciples are in a storm. And when you get to chapter 5, verse 1, you begin to realize and think to yourself, well, there is a reason for the storm. Let me give you one reason real quickly. It was to prepare these men for the spiritual battle that they would face once they got to the other side. In nearly 40 years of pastoring... In nearly 40 years of pastoring the church, I've discovered that the most godly, most deep, most spiritual, most mature spiritually, those old saints, those men and women who are the very core and the backbone of the church are often those people who have suffered the most. I've often told you about my grandmother. My grandmother died at 89 years of age. This is the way she looked. She was bent over double. Her hands were drawn with arthritis. Her arms were drawn up like this. She couldn't straighten up. When she walked around her house, she walked around like this, on a limited income, living in a trailer. This is the way she walked around. She talked to you. She turned this way. She was crippled and literally disfigured by arthritis. She knew what it was to lose her husband. She knew what it was to lose children. She had buried her husband. She had buried her children. She buried one son at 38 years of age before she buried her husband. She had raised children through the Great Depression, through World War II, through the Korean War. She had watched her sons go off to war. She had lived a life of a lot of storms and a lot of heartaches. But let me say this, today I know no figure though she is in heaven today, that has more affected my life than her. Storms serve a purpose. Just like the eagle, we may have to recognize that storms come into our lives because they are preparing us, spiritually equipping us for battle. You know, as we reflect on what should these men have done in Mark chapter 4, when you think back and you look at this storm, because you remember the Sea of Galilee, 13 miles long and 8 miles wide, sat down in this bowl between these mountains. And what would happen is the wind would come off the Mediterranean. Then all of a sudden it would hit these mountains and it would be forced down into this funnel. And as it was forced down into these funnel, into these ravines, when it came to the Sea of Galilee, it would explode across there. Sometimes winds reaching 70 miles an hour. It could be blue skies and still they could be in a storm. It comes on them quickly. And I'm going to tell you folks, that's the way storms come. They come quickly and without any notice whatsoever. The disciples are in a storm. 
They don't know what to do. These are fishermen. They should have known better. They probably thought, well, we can handle this ourselves. We talked about this last week. And so they probably bailed. They probably rode. They probably did everything they could. They probably did everything possible to get themselves out of the storm. When finally in frustration and anger, they go and they wake Jesus up because he's asleep. He's not bothered at all. He's sovereign over the storms. Jesus stands up and he speaks to the storm exactly in the same wording that in chapter 1 he spoke to the demons. He said, muzzle it, shut it up. That's what it means in the Greek. It may be a little bit politer in your Bible. Peace, be still, quiet. But in the Greek it's muzzle it, shut it up. Just as if he were talking to demons. And immediately, silence. Sea was placid. It was like glass. Wind quit blowing. It was dead still. Why the storm? And why do the storms come in our life? And what is God trying to do? What should these disciples have done when the storm came? Let me tell you what they should have done. When our kids, when we were raising four kids when they were small and a storm would come, every parent listened closely. What do kids do when storms and lightning and thunder and it gets bad? What do the kids do? They run to your room. You're in store for this. And I pray for you often. Not, I mean, I pray for a healthy baby, a good pregnancy, and it's exciting. It's great to raise kids. But one of the things that Caleb, you and Molly will learn and other parents know that when a storm comes, this little boy, as he's growing up, he's going to run, he's going to jump up in the bed and he's going to get wedged up there between the two of you. What should the disciples have done? They should have just crawled up next to Jesus and felt his peace. You see, storms come. We can't, we can't keep them from coming. Now, I want you to reach over and buckle your pew belt, buckle your neighbor's pew belt. I want you to put your spiritual antennas up real high because this week God said something I felt very clearly to me. And it's sad that we're down in numbers because usually there are more people here. So this is sad, but hopefully people will go back and listen by way of website. But I wrote this down. Once the storm was quiet, so was the wind in Luke's version of this, Luke uses the Greek to say, I think the word field is pleiro or pleiro. It is the word when, uh, when you lift sails and they fill with the wind, they'll kind of, you know the way a sail will blow out and expand and all of a sudden the boat will move forward. Luke uses that terminology when he's talking about the disciples in this storm. In other words, what had happened was the disciples had lifted the sail, and this, this boat, and it was moving quickly across the Sea of Galilee. It was catching the wind of this storm. Now I want you to listen closely because there are people in this room, and, and Celia, I felt very strongly, strongly that Alan should hear this message, but undoubtedly he's outside guarding our cars. It's amazing the number of people who are not here who need to listen. But forget that. The wind dies, right? 
He said to the wind, the waves, muzzle it, quiet, be still. The disciples said, who is this that the wind and the waves obey him? The sea is placid like ice. There's not a ripple on it. There's no movement of air at all. After Katrina hit, I'll never forget it, nine days without power, we were sitting in our home and we'd sit outside a lot. And I remember sitting outside. After Katrina went through, you could not hear nothing. There was not the sound of a bird, nothing. It was dead silence, no wind, nothing. There's only one problem. When you compare Luke and Mark, you begin to realize that once Jesus quieted the storm... Now, let me ask you something. Why did he quiet the storm? Think with me. Why did Jesus quiet the storm? Was it his will to quiet the storm? They asked... You're right, Celia. Jesus quieted the storm because the disciples said, Don't you care? that we're about to drown, and he quieted the storm. He quieted the storm not because of their faith, but because of what? Because of their fear. We have to conclude that it probably was not even his will to quiet the storm. He was sleeping. He was perfectly comfortable. They weren't in danger. Jesus had already told them. He said, let us go where? He had already told them, we're going to make it. We're going to get through this. It's all right. Rest easy, guys. God's got this. The Father's got this. But, but no, instead, he quiets the storm. And when he does so, I love what one commentary said, and I brought this up last week, that they were probably five miles from shore and they had to row the rest of the way. So now we come back to a question. Do Sometimes do we seek to escape the storm? Do we fail the test in the storm and why? I wrote these down. Number one, the storm was propelling them to their goal, to their destination, to their ministry. Let me repeat that. Their storm that they were going through was actually, as bad as it seemed, propelling them toward their, toward their goal, their destination, toward their ministry. They were, Jesus said, let us go to the other side. There's something that we've got to do over there, and we're going to get to the other side. And the storm was helping them get there. But they got filled with fear. There's a principle. Sometimes we escape the storm. Sometimes we escape the storm and thereby we forfeit spiritual growth and maturity and we're robbed of the fellowship of his suffering, as Paul said. Let me tell you, sometimes the only way for you and I to mature and to grow in our faith is to sometimes go through the storms, but sometimes we get so anxious and we get frustrated and we begin to cry out to God, God, this hurts too bad, or it hurts the person that I love too bad, so i got to get... I, gotta, I, let me tell you something, sometimes you and I make the mistake of rescuing people outside, getting them out of their storm when God says, leave them alone, let them stay in it for a while. I'm doing something. Sometimes we have to do that with the people that are closest to us that we love. Ethan and I last week, Led said, Dad, can you take Ethan 
to school, and, and uh, so it's, you, you got to be there by 7 o'clock, Ledge said, and I understand why, because there's unbelievable traffic there around Brandon. So here I had my grandson next to me, me and Ethan riding along there, and I could, no, I could notice that Ethan just acted different. Ethan's usually got his mama's big old bright smile, and he's always just filled, but he looked a little sad as little Titus and Caleb were saying goodbye, and, and he was kind of quiet and said, you're, I said, hey, buddy, you all right? I put my hand over there. You all right, buddy? And he just kind of looked a little down. I said, what's wrong? He said, I'm bored. I said, you don't like school? He said, I don't like school. I'm bored. And then I said, you know, Ethan, I said, now everything in me is his grandfather. You know what I wanted to do? This is the great thing about being a doctor, having a doctorate, is I could just walk in there and say, uh, I'm Ethan's grandfather, and he's got a doctor's appointment this morning. I need to sign him out. I'm not lying. I did that with my kids. I might as well do it with the grandkids. And there was everything in me wanting to rescue him, wanting to make his life less boring, to look at him and say, I tell you what, man, let's go get a coffee and let's go, or something. Let's go do something. We'll go to the movies or we'll have a big day. But instead, I said, Ethan, I said, I know you're bored. I said, you're a smart little boy. I said, your parents take a lot of pride in teaching you. I said, but some of the kids, they're not maybe where you are. And the teacher has to play catch-up and get everybody kind of closely on, to, the, to the same page. And I said, Ethan, this would be like when you go out for football. If you, when you go out for football, because Ethan's got an arm, he throws, he loves to catch, he loves football. And I said to him, Ethan, I said, it would be like you going out for the first time for football. When you go out there, they're going to be boys. They didn't have a dad. They didn't have somebody to show them how to hold the ball, how to throw the ball, how to catch the ball, how to kick the ball. They didn't have that. And you're going to have to be patient and you're going to be bored while they're trying to catch up with you in football. You see, the little small storm that Ethan was going through was an opportunity for grandfather to teach him a life lesson. Sometimes the reality is the storms in our life come because they are propelling us, pushing us toward our destination, toward spiritual maturity. Number two... The faith or the lack of faith was the greatest threat to these disciples. They could not face the enemy. Remember, when they get to the other side, it's still dark. Hey, listen, when you go to Israel to this day, you can still locate this region. There are caverns, in limestone caverns all along this area. And a lot of times what the poor people would do when someone died, they would put them in those caverns. They couldn't afford a big fancy funeral, so they would put their dead in those caverns. A lot of Jews, a lot of Israelites, man, the last thing you did was want to hang around there. This man lived among the dead, among those caverns. These disciples were going through a storm. They were getting ready to land on the shore. When they got to the Gadarean, this man was going, it's still half dark, it's spooky. It's a little bit scary. When all of a sudden this screaming lunatic, this maniac comes screaming out from these caverns and is screaming and hollering, Jesus, what do you have to do with me? Why are you here? You see, sometimes Jesus is taking us through a storm, through a difficulty because he's trying to develop our faith because, listen, without faith, we not only can't please God, we can't stand against our enemy. 
You can't be in spiritual battle standing against the enemy if you've not been seasoned through the storms. I miss my grandmother, but when I was on my way to Africa, and I told you this, she was in the nursing home. I went in there, knelt down, uh, while I sat there carrying on this conversation with her, talking to her. I was getting ready to be gone the first time to Zimbabwe for four years. I didn't think I would ever see her again. She was in a nursing home. Her health was bad. At a certain point, we got, I got ready to leave, I, and I'm telling my grandmother, listen, look this way. I'm telling the most pivotal person in my life goodbye for the last time. I know that. I'm telling her goodbye, never to see her again. And I'm starting to tear up, choke up with emotion. She said, doll, baby, come over here. I went over, I knelt down by her bed. Just like I was pouring into my grandson, Ethan, she would pour into me and had been for years. She put that arthritic hand and began to stroke my hair and she prayed a prayer that went straight to heaven asking God to protect me. And I never forgot it. Five weeks after I arrived in Africa, she died. You see, sometimes fear will take over in a storm and the first thing that's, that the enemy is able to do is get the upper hand. Your ability to survive any storm in life comes not by fear, but comes by faith. Jesus didn't reprimand the men. What did he say to them? He said, why are you so what? Afraid. Do you still have no faith? You see, it's critical. Thirdly, this assembly was getting ready to break chains. You know, the Bible says when you read this, it said they couldn't chain. When they get to the Gadaree and this man comes, the, the, the community, in an attempt to control him, has chained him up. They've tried to chain him, but you know what he's done? He's broke the chains. Let me tell you something. Human beings have some superhuman strength when the adrenaline is flowing just right. He's, he's breaking the chains. This man broke his chains. But listen, I wrote this down, but it, didn't, but it wasn't that. These chains did not need to be broken. He did not need to be loosed from the outside, from without, but he needed to be loosed from the inside. These disciples, Jesus was teaching them, were going through a storm, were coming to a man in great need who's held in bondage by the enemy, and the only way to get there is through the storm. That's the only way they could get to the other side. I wrote this question down, is it possible that you and I can laugh in some of the storms that life sends us? There's a movie, it's called The Thirteenth Warrior. I love this movie, it's a great movie. I looked for it last night. I couldn't find it because I really wanted to take an excerpt out of it and show it on our PowerPoint. But in this, there's 13 warriors and they're, they're Norsemen. They're Vikings. They're warriors. And this Middle Eastern Islam Muslim guy is assigned to these 12 Norsemen. And, he's and they're going to confront evil because there's some evil entity that has come into the United Kingdom, into, those, into that area up in those, in those, in those countries up there. And, and so these Norsemen are in their boats in these Viking vessels, and they're going through the sea, and they're going to take on this enemy. 
The, this Middle Eastern Muslim is sick. He's all cowered down. You know what these Norsemen are doing, these Vikings? It's a, I love this scene. The wind, the rain, they're in a violent storm. And they're looking at the storm and they're laughing. They're just laughing. These big Norsemen, these big Vikings, they're laughing in the face of the storm. How do you laugh in the face of a storm? When you know you're in God's will, when you're seeking to live in obedience, and when you recognize that our enemy wishes to turn us against the Lord, when you and I understand what God is trying to do and what the enemy is trying to do, then we begin to understand the storm itself. Secondly, last point, but I got a minute, so Jeffrey, don't come in here. From the enemy's perspective, why is the storm? Now remember, Jesus speaks to the storm as if he's speaking to a demon. He uses the same exact wording in the Greek. Is that not right, Bridge? Exact same wording. He speaks to the storm exactly as if it's a demon. Now listen closely. The demon had his, he had his man, he had his territory. And let me tell you, when they get over to the Gadarean, when he, when he sets this Gadarean demonic-filled man free of his demons, the townspeople come out, they don't have a revival. What do they tell Jesus? You need to get out of here, you killed 3,000 pigs. Get out of here. So you get the feeling that this is an area that the enemy has territorially. He has, he has pretty much locked up. He's contained just like this man. He has him in bondage and in dependency to this demonic host that is within him. So here Jesus and his disciples are going to the other side to address the enemy. And it's almost as if the storm is his attempt, the enemy's attempt to keep them from getting where they need to be. Number one, to create crippling fear so that the enemy could get these men to turn back. Let me ask you a question. Is the storm you're going through right now an attempt by your enemy, the devil, to turn you back so that you don't follow through with something you need to follow through with? Let me give you an example. Young parents, kids can be a nightmare. They can create an unbelief. Hey, that sweet little picture of running in there in a the storm and cuddling up next to you. Oh, that's true. But try to get that little sucker in the bed. Okay, now, I want you to go in there. You've eaten. I want you to go brush your teeth. And I want you to get ready. And I want you to go to bed. Okay, it's 8 o'clock. It's time for bed. 8.15. I want you Do you hear what I said? Now, I want you to, I want you to get in there. And I want you I, Did you brush your teeth? Okay, now you need to get on in the bed. Don't get up again. 8.30. Did you hear what I said? Now, I'm not going to tell you again. Get in the bed right now. About 9 o'clock. You're screaming about ready to pull your hair out. Because the reality is, is the child is creating a storm. But let me tell you something, parent of young children... That's a storm you had better go through. You better not lose it. You better pick, put on your, your big boy pants or your big girl dress or whatever. You better, you better muscle up 
you better firm up and you better go on through that storm and win that battle because if you don't, that storm will come back to haunt you one day. You better get control of them boys, them girls while they're small. If you don't, they'll make your, they'll make your life a living hell when they get 16 or 17 years of age. And you'll be calling me then. And everything in me will want to go, I told you so. And when that teenager gets to that age that they become rebellious and peer pressure begins to influence them, mom, dad, you better win that storm. You better stick to your guns. You better not give in. Because if you don't go through that storm, they'll put you through a lot of heartache when they're grown adults. Sometimes we need to go through storms on our marriage, storms in our parenting, storms in our, in our finances. Sometimes we need to go through those difficult times because God has a destination involved. There's a principle here. There are some storms you must go through and I must go through and survive. It may not be pretty, but the storm is critical to your objective, to your goal. It's not easy to raise children today, but you better get tough, toughen up and raise them in a way they should go so that one day you're not grieving 10 or 15 years down the road. Sometimes we're called to go through a storm because what is at stake? Had the enemy turned them back on the Sea of Galilee, they have, would have never gotten to the Gadarean. He would have never been delivered from his demonic army. And ultimately, that geographical area would have never been touched with the gospel. Satan's objective is to get you so crippled with fear in a, in a storm that your faith goes out the window and he can turn you back. Secondly, Satan's objective is to bring division between you and Christ and to cause you to get mad at God. Let me ask you something. When you're in a storm, who do sometimes you and I get mad at? Get mad at God. God, what are you doing? I don't understand. This doesn't make a bit of sense. Are you in control, God? Are you sovereign? God, why is this happening to me? God, I don't understand this. And then finally, what do we say? God, just end this storm. Just get me out of it. Let me tell you something. Everybody listen closely. Sometimes God will answer that prayer. He'll get us out of a storm because we have cried, griped, complained, and carried on so much that finally God says, that's enough, okay, I'll get you out of it. But remember what the disciples had to do for the rest of the way. They had to row to the other shore. They had to work a lot harder. Thirdly, finally, to prematurely stop the, the storm before the objective is obtained. What is God's objective in a storm? You and I see deeper revelations of the character and nature of God. We see God in a way we haven't seen God. If I never had no problem, I wouldn't know that He could solve them. I wouldn't know what faith in God could do. You know when you're working out I used to when I had a shoulder that would work. But when you're doing weights, they were showing this guy, college football or whatever he was, he was doing a, what do they call a deadlift, 405 pounds. He's a little short guy. And, and, and you think to yourself, but a lot of times when you're on a bench press or you're doing some things, you have to have somebody who spots you. This person is standing behind you and here you are back on the bench and you're getting ready to take a weight you've never taken before to see if you can do it. Now listen, if you don't have somebody to spot you, do you know that people have been killed on a weight bench? So your spotter is an important person. 
The spotter watches as you pick that, you pick that weight up. Now to pick it up off that brace, those braces, that's one thing. But when you bring that weight down and rest it on your chest, that is a critical moment because you've got to now jerk and get that, get that weight back off your chest. There have been people that have died because they didn't have somebody to spot them. The spotter is an individual who's watching this whole thing and trying to judge your strength. And the spotter, the danger is, will prematurely save you. I don't think I can do it. You know what a spot? Yes, you can. Get it up. Get it up. Get it up. Push, push, push. You got it. You got it. Get it up there. Get it up there. You get it. But if somebody's laying on that bench and they're griping and complaining and they don't even try and finally they, they lose all their strength, they lose all their stamina, they lose their passion, they don't have any desire to get it off their chest. And finally they'll say, help me, help me, get it off of me, get it off of me. And the spotter will reach and he'll take and they'll lift the weight and put it back in place. Now fear. Now fear takes over chances of that weight ever being attempted and that person growing beyond that will never happen. There's a principle. Jesus is not always trying to help us escape a storm we're in, but rather to learn on it, to learn to lean on Him, to learn to trust Him. There's a question. Who did not want them to arrive, to arrive at their destination? Satan. Principle. Sometimes we are called to go through storms, to get to the enemy's territory. He was trying to turn them back from what he possessed. Let me ask you a question. You can go ahead and stand. Let me ask you a question. If you're not in that big a hurry to stand, maybe I need to let you sit back down. I go another 10 or 15 minutes. Can a man outrun a horse? Can a man outrun a horse? You know, I think it was Jeremiah, and I'm not sure. But Jeremiah said, how can a, how can a man, how can a woman, how can somebody, how can somebody uh, walk with men if he, can't, if he can walk with horses, run with men or something like that. I can't remember. But basically what he's saying is how can you do one if you can't even do the other? How can you run with horses if you can't walk with men? I think that's what he said. How can you, how can you run with horses if you can't walk with men? So let me ask you something. Can a man outrun a horse? This is going to make you really feel good. Yes, he can. God has designed your sweat and your system of cooling your body to give you the ability to outrun a horse. Now you're thinking to yourself, when you say outrun, you think a sprint. You think, uh, you, you think well, you know, going around a track or something like that. I didn't ask that. I said, can a man outrun a horse? Listen to this. Look this way. A man can outrun any animal on the earth. Why? Because God has designed our system to outlast any animal on the earth. Let me tell you something, people. God has equipped you 
with everything you need as a child of God, not only to stand against your enemy, but also to triumph in whatever storm you may be going through. No storm in your life is ever meant to sink your boat. You can't sink Jesus. He can walk on it if he wants. So whatever circumstance, whatever difficulty, whatever storm you're going through, he can give you victory over it. But, and there's a big but, you got to know it. You have, in some point in your life, repented of your sin, received Jesus Christ into your heart, filled with His Holy Spirit, because, listen closely, greater is He that is in me than he that is in the world. You know what that means? Ephesians, Ephesians, Paul said this to the Ephesus church. He said this, he said, the deposit of God's Holy Spirit in you is more powerful than Satan and all the host of hell, everything. Put all evil together, lump them up together, and they can't, out, they can't outlast you. You've got everything you need in your heart, in your life, to stand against your enemy, but you have to first know Jesus Christ. Do you know him? Secondly, are you living in obedience to him, to his word? Because if you're not, and I'm not, then we relinquish the power to stand against our enemy and to survive the storms. Do you know him? Let's pray. Our Heavenly Father, we just come to you, and Lord, we love you and we praise you. We pray, dear Lord, right now as we come to this time of invitation that, Lord, you would speak to the hearts of men and women in this room. And, Lord, if there's one here that doesn't know you, that today they might come and give their life to you. That they might come down this aisle and say, Brother Reggie, Brother Ledge, Brother Jeff, I've repented of my sin. I've asked Jesus to come into my heart to forgive me and be my Lord, my Master. For others in this room right now, Lord, they may be struggling. They may be in the middle of a great storm. And everything in them would cry out and say, I just want out of it. And God's saying, trust me in it. There are people in this room that are wanting to rescue somebody else in a storm. And maybe that's the problem. They've been rescued so much. There's no maturity at all. No faith at all. No relationship with Christ at all. They've grown lazy. They've found that they depend on everybody but Jesus. They need to depend on you. Help us not to rescue too quickly. Speak to us today, Lord. And we pray this in the name of Jesus. Amen.